Hello, everybody, and welcome to Finding Fashion. I'm your host, Pojo. I'm so excited to have you here. Welcome to an eco-fashion podcast that is not clinically depressing. I'm so excited to start this journey with you all. We are going to be exploring the future of fashion and what it means to be diving into a more sustainable world. Fashion, as you guys know, is a part of all of our lives, and I'm just so thrilled to have you all here so we can explore what a better future really looks like. And I want to also let you know that this show is powered by Galaxy. If you're not sure what Galaxy is, whether you're into vintage, upcycled fashion, or just supporting small businesses and creatives, Galaxy is the perfect platform to find your fashion. Later in this episode, we're actually going to be spotlighting an awesome creator on Galaxy, so make sure you stay tuned for that. Whew. Wow. There's so much rushing through my mind right now. You know, when I think about what sustainable fashion really means, it just, I go a million places. And I I really want to start with this word that we're talking about today, which is sustainability. It's a loaded, loaded word. You might be like, oh, I have an idea of what sustainability means, but do you? That's the question. We all have different definitions. There are criticisms that come with that word. And there's a lot of confusion that especially comes with that word. And it's a shame because when we have a word like this that's defining what we are hopeful about and like a hopeful environmentally conscious future which this word is always pushing for that we really want to make sure that the foundation of our interpretation of what we're going to get into is educated concise and clear so the decisions we're making especially in fashion are educated and allowing us to push forward for a better future And I'm somebody, by the way, I know you'll get to know me throughout the season, but I have a very extensive background in fashion. I grew up modeling. I grew up around a lot of designers, small designers, big businesses, you name it. I remember when I was in fifth grade, my mom finally told me what a shopping mall was. She strategically hid it from me, which I thought was pretty evil. I was like, what do you mean all my friends are going to these places and shopping and doing this? These like, you know, I was a hand-me-down girl like most of my life. And when you realize how broad the fashion industry really is and how much there is to learn and explore, it's very overwhelming. And for good reason. We're overproducing. We're overexposed to so many trends online. And all you can do is really sit back and ask yourself, like, what does this mean for my personal style? There's so much we're absorbing all the time. So I am beyond excited to start this show with you guys and really dive into what it means for us personally to explore a more eco-conscious style and fashion future and i know we keep touching on future 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 but the decisions we're making now are what is going to define that when it comes to what the foundation of this show really is and also the core values of galaxy i realize it's all about community and it's also all about understanding who you're supporting and your network and i wanted to make sure that if we're going to go into this world of fashion and what a better future for fashion looks like We're starting with the facts, and we're also starting with a conversation around what sustainability really means to us, because how are we going to define a more mindful future if we don't actually know what mindfulness needs to entail or what we need to consider before we make these decisions? So whether or not you're well-versed in the convo, I'm really excited to start start this season with a bang and introduce you to one of my absolute favorite creators. I'm a little biased because I've been a fan for a while, but... Let me introduce you to my good friend Isaiah from Queer Brown Vegan. For those that don't know, he's the founder of his platform. It's a platform online that shares information about intersectional sustainability, and it cultivated a community of like-minded people who are wanting to learn more about environmentalism. 
myself included. <laughs> so, Isaiah, welcome to Finding Fashion. Thank you for being here today. Yeah, thank you so much again for having me. And I'm super excited for this conversation because I know that so many people have so many questions these yes. days. Yes, and I can only imagine the feedback we're going to get from this. And I, I already know your DMs are going to be flooded with <laughs> questions itself. I'm just so grateful that you're on today to help conquer just the foundation of what this show is really supposed to be about and also to learn a lot more about your work and your you know, journey to getting to where you are now. You're such an established voice online. You're the reason why a lot of people also are like entering the sustainability space with passion and excitement, which is hard to come by, as you know. You know, there's a lot of like, and we're going to talk about climate doomism in the future, but there's a lot that, you know, weighs us down as people, especially empathic people that care about the planet and want to be more conscious. You know, I'm just so grateful that you do the work you do, and I'm really excited to touch on everything. So thank you, thank you, thank you for your energy and time, seriously. No, of course, and thank you so much again for having me. No, of course. Okay, so, Isaiah, there's so much to get into, but I really want to start from where you began in your journey with sustainability and just environmental justice and all these things you're passionate about. When did this conversation begin for you? within your own head or just in your life like were you introduced to these concepts was sustainability something you were always you know curious about when did you start to really dive into this sustainable realm if you will <laughs> yeah no definitely I think for me like introducing myself into this environment was in Los Angeles right my parents had immigrated from Mexico and you know my whole life I grew up in affordable housing off food stamps and taking public transportation and I think my relationship to awareness and to the green environmental journey was started off with like as a children, right? A lot of us are introduced to like recycling and gardening. And I think that that was a really great opening for me to be curious. The question that I always had is that, you know, even though at school we're doing these programs and they're taking us to these field trips where they're teaching us about environmentalism, a lot of us don't have access to clean air, water or soil. And I think for me, it almost seemed like as if it was almost always a privilege and always for low income people to feel ashamed for themselves for not having these resources. And I think I grew up a bit angry at myself because I didn't know the right words of how to express that type of injustice that was happening. And I think as I got older, I started to become more curious and started to get more in trouble in classrooms for asking types of questions. And I think in middle school, that's when I learned about global warming. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you saw the pandas, like, you know, the polar bears, like, you know, melting ice, like yeah. wildfires. And Nat Geo and Discovery Channel were huge inspirations in the beginning for my journey. And I just told myself, I want to do something environmentally related. I didn't really know how that all intersected in my own livelihood, but I saw sustainability for myself growing up as a way of survival. And I mm -hmm. saw it as a very way for me to kind of understand more about my culture. And I think that took time to unlearn because I saw that as a privilege when I was in college, because I always told myself, well, who has time to be recycling or who has time to even be buying these products? Cause I don't have time and I don't have any money. Right. It's so interesting you say that because we are introduced to so many different one images so young like you said like the polar bears and the ice melting and these things that feel like so outside of yourself because mm -hmm. it's not directly in your environment and then the recycling things which are so you know directly involving like our daily decisions and yet it still feels far away especially when yeah priorities aren't necessarily like making sure you find a recycling bin in a place where there aren't a lot of recycling mm -hmm. initiatives or maybe there's isn't as much access but that's such an interesting angle and you know kudos to you for 
asking those questions regardless because it's true there's a lot of pushback when you're curious about things like that especially when there aren't really any systems that are helping you be curious and also helping push for change i'm sure that was really hard when you were that young too yeah and i I think a lot of the times it was just the fact of like i don't know the right words and there's so many children in educational spaces in k through 12 like that are so curious they're so creative right like that's like where a lot of creativeness happens but yet you see the ongoing defunding of public schools, um, you know, teachers not wanting to teach their children or their students. And so a lot of them become disengaged and you learn all of these issues in a siloed lens that people are not able to really apply it through this interconnected lens of like, how does math equal creativity? How does science equal design? And all of these things are so important in foundations. Um, But I think that a lot of people in college that get to go start to create these connections and start to question themselves of like, what was it that I was learning my entire life? Right, exactly. It's like a space that they're actually fueling that conversation and you're being told to converse about things like that mm. it's like this buildup. i'm sure and there's a lot of rage i'm sure attached to it as well when you realize like this is a space that should have been cultivated for me from a young age in all of these educational spaces but no I, I totally get it and i went to public school growing up you know like watching things change so rapidly as well has been super concerning and yeah no that's that's a real thing i want to dive into a little bit about when you started posting online you know, there that's just a gateway, like the floodgates open there. You know, I think we all know with social media and uh, just consuming media too. When did that start for you? When did you decide, you know, I actually want to share with people this passion of mine and the conversations I'm having internally? Yeah. So I would say that, you know, I and after I graduated in 2018, I had this really huge passion for environmentalism, sustainability, digital media and creative work. And at the time, I applied to all these environmental organizations and I got rejected. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up landing a creative agency job startup where we both worked at. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a year and a half later, I realized that I wasn't really using my degree for what I really wanted to do. And I told myself, honestly, that I think that I was living a lie choosing a career that wasn't really aligned to me, even though it did teach me a lot of skills. And so in November 2019, when I was living in New York, I created Queer Brown Vegan just on a mission just to educate people on simple topics because I said I learned so much in university and it should it's honestly a privilege to be attending these institutions. And I have so many friends who didn't go to college because that wasn't their calling. And I just wanted to educate people because I think this information should not be privatized. It should be public and free for everyone. And so I created Queer Brown Vegan on the basis of this infographic account to make it colorful by design, to make it engaging, and to make it very accessible through a lived experience and cultural component with the addition of science to ensure that people have this holistic lens in their sustainability journey. I love that. And you really have touched so many people so fast. I didn't even realize it was 2019. You know, I remember when I was like reintroduced to like the work you were doing, I was like, oh my gosh, like Isaiah's like, he's really killing it. Like, how does it feel to also like grow a platform that large so fast with like a mission like that? I'm sure it was like really like cathartic almost to be like, oh my gosh, people are really listening and they really want to learn. Yeah. You know, I was really shocked because I didn't really expect 
and any time for my social media platform and grow. Like my goal is never to really become big or famous or an influence or a, a voice in the space. It's rather right. to just give justice for a lot of low income students that never got that education because I know how frustrating it can feel being in these spaces where you're expected to know all the scientific language and how to eloquently speak. And I said, no, it's like honestly a privilege to learn all of these information. So totally. I'm going to give it free for anyone. They can use whatever they want and then build themselves up because I know how it is to struggle in this space. And so seeing the growth was really a privilege for me, but it also made me feel that, you know, perhaps this is the work that I was truly aligned for. And I'm really thankful that, you know, it, it wasn't easy to get here, but it took me time to understand what I wanted to feel comfortable in. No, of course. And I'm sure too, with the internet, it's a creating healthy boundaries for yourself. Like, look, no one's perfect to begin with. We're all human. And I, I think this is what I really love about your media, just to like <laughs> get on like a little box right now and start talking about why I love your work. Um, you have made it so it doesn't feel judgmental and it doesn't feel like if you do something wrong, shame on you. You're like, you can't be, you're not a sustainable, like, or even a student of like this environmentalism that we're all learning about. Like you make it so it's so, it's okay to come in and it's okay to learn that, oh, these things I'm doing every day, like maybe aren't the best decision and I actually want to change that. Or maybe today isn't the day that I make the permanent change, but today's the day that I start educating myself on what the change should look like. Mm -hmm. You've made it so it's a warm and comforting place to kind of fall and learn about these things and also grow together. I see your comment sections. Like people are really passionate about what you're like. The conversation continues. A lot of people would kill for that type of like community, you know? So it's really, really awesome that you've cultivated that so naturally. And yeah. I could just see it in your work. Like you really are so passionate. Um, I don't know. This is turning into an Isaiah's fan <laughs> account. So I just want to let you guys know, like if you're not following him, obviously, don't worry. We'll throw you all the handles at the end, but just make sure you get 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 on your little search engines and get going. Creating content is a job. I mean, we you and I know this, but like such a job. I see how much you're putting out there to also be absorbing so much information. I can imagine is just like boom boom boom, you're being hit with so much. How do you stay inspired to create and stay positive? Like you really do such a great job of like retaining that energy and that you know, that spark. So how do you do that for yourself? Or what do you do in like your time to yourself to like stay energized? Yeah, you know, I think it's always about being intentional, right? Like I for myself love journaling. I got into it a few years ago. And it's I've really become a writer. I never really saw myself as a writer growing up because I was always told I was horrible at writing. But I think like, in creating content right like i don't only think about it through this like western science lens i think about it through a cultural lens and a lived experience lens because i think that what gets people to learn more is adding this like cultural component and lived component where the person's like wow i never really thought about that but now that you bring this up about your own experience there's actually something happening in my own city and so that's how you draw connections with people and I don't see really much the content creation process as like me extracting myself, but rather in this cyclical way where I'm not necessarily the educator. I'm also the student. And so I feel like I enter this space through a decentralized lens of I'm also joining you within the circle because I want to discuss this issue because I'm curious to learn more. And that's how kind of conversations begin and more people share it or more people are just sharing their own views with it or saying i never knew about this and so 
um, you know, every day is kind of a blessing of like we get to learn new things, which isn't so much digital pollution, but a more of a slow way of learning where you're not being judged. You're not being graded on of how well, you know, you're just being asked, well, what are your thoughts on just the term? What do you think about it? Right. Wow. That's so cool. It also kind of, you know, that plays on this idea that we need to be very conscious of what we're consuming daily too, because there's an opportunity to consume things that are teaching us something rather than, I don't know, the, the white noise, I guess, of social media that it can feel that way. But I just know when, yeah, whenever I see you on my feed, I feel excited to learn about whatever you're about to talk about. <laughs> I mean, I, I was so excited the other day you posted like you picking from an orange tree and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like so great. I like learn all these facts. I'm like, oh my, like, it's just a, making some noise right like making a bunch of noise in here I'm like it just it's really exciting to get to learn with you and I like that you said it that way you know you're absorbing information and then you're relaying that information in a way that's like creating a soundboard for conversation and it you do a wonderful job as you're a student and as many of us are do you have any recommendations for people that would want to also do what you do and create some sort of cultivate some sort of community online and share these types of like forms of information. Do you have any advice on that? Yeah, you know, I've always told people collaborate. That's what gets you through the industries. And I think like myself being a grassroots platform, necessarily saying I'm not self-made, I'm collectively made by my community, by my experience, by the people who love me and encourage me. So really asking yourself, what is the deepest way of that you love to translate and to communicate to people? For people, sometimes it can be photography. For others, it can be modeling. For others, it can be designing. For others, it can be poetry or writing. And I think that's so deep. And I think um, for people, just trying different experimentations and different designs, whether that's a podcast, whether that's a YouTube channel, like there's just different medium outlets that exist. And I think no one should ever feel that, oh my God, this person's doing the same thing I want to do, so I shouldn't do it. Because that is not how it works. Like there is no such thing as myself being the original developer of education on on instagram <laughs> like no that's not that's not the case it's more about like how do we collectively share space so we can reach other audiences and i think specifically high schoolers and college students see these careers like opening up now and they're just like oh my god how do i get into sustainability and that's one of the hardest things i tell people is like you know this is industries like emerging and i'm one of the first ones i guess experimenting through this process and so really just cold call emailing people setting up zoom calls like i really make it a fact to i try to meet with my community and like now i have enough funding to finally hire summer interns which a lot of people have expressed on my media platform that they would want to intern for me and so giving back to the community is essential and just remembering the fact of like it's okay if that project or that assignment that you're doing doesn't, you know, succeed or doesn't grow the way that you want, but it's a learning experience. And I've had experiences where I had other projects before this where they grow, they grew to it themselves, but I didn't really relate to that work anymore. And so mm. I wanted to evolve. Totally. Oh, I love that. I love that you're creating a community that's also like liberated through your work, literally, because you're giving them opportunities. <laughs> you're just the best. I can't. I love that. So sustainability right am i right the buzzword <laughs> the buzzword of the year of the century of the i don't know of our lives at least yeah. but i'm very curious i just want to discuss this word for one um it's something that everywhere i go especially with the work we do all you hear is sustainability all day i'm sure how many times do you think you hear sustainability in a day with the work you do on social media i think like 30 plus times oh my day. god so what did this word even mean to you 
when you were a kid? Like, was this something you were hearing or did you feel like you were introduced to it when you were younger? Or was it something that when you started to like, when you're in the college space and having the conversations, like, was that when it emerged? Like, when did sustainability come into your life? Literally? Yeah. <laughs> so I would say that, you know, being resourceful or, you know, cyclical in your own ways was a form of survival for me growing up. So I didn't really relate it to like eco-friendly or sustainability. It's just like, this is what you have and this is what you use. And right. you just kind of normalize that. But I think at 18, when I was an environmental science um, student at Berkeley, like I learned about sustainability and institutionally it's defined as a sustaining of natural resources. But that kind of often is a really bit ambiguous, right? Because when we talk about resources, what are we talking about, right? Resources are related to the land, they're related to the culture, they're related to the people and animals. And so for me, the way I define sustainability was this circular lifestyle that recognizes the, li the livelihood of humans and animals and does not create a negative discharge to the environment and recognizes that the resources and the culture and the stories that we use that come from the earth are also returned to the earth when we're using them. And so this practice of sustainability for me is more through a spiritual lens rather than a what you would say a physical region, because I believe that within each bioregions throughout the world, sustainability is uniquely defined to a many indigenous cultures. And I think for me, I kind of use it as a way as this holistic lens so people can kind of create their own relationship to sustainability that's so powerful and it just shows too yeah like how could everyone from every background across the world have the same interpretation we're all consuming differently we're all in mm -hmm. different environments you know we all have different spiritual practices communities etc it makes absolute sense to make it customized to each person or for each person to create that relationship themselves i know for me like if you asked me even 10 years ago um, when I started modeling, like what that even meant to me, I'd be like, um, drink water and don't <laughs> waste or like don't like or wash my clothes with cold water, you know, like mm -hmm. the very like these little like things that all sort of like things were fed, like little stories were fed. It, it's completely different than now where I'm I'm just like you in like a PR lens. We think about like, all right, giftings or the types of events we go to, the impact, the things we're posting about, like very conscious of like what our direct decisions how they influence other people especially sharing online especially yeah. the amount that you do um there's this idea online that the ideal sustainable person is fully vegan plastic free wears all like organic cotton and drives an electric car and just blah 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 like it, that is such a consumer perspective of course but i'm really curious what your thoughts on that because is that a realistic lifestyle shift or, you know, blueprint, if you will, for what a sustainable life really looks like for people? You know, I would say like the modern sustainability movement, specifically with how the media centers a lifestyle movement does a good job in erasing a lot of the ways of how sustainability is practiced for a lot of cultures. And I kind of look back at the way of different people's livelihoods. There are people who have grown up their entire lives using public transportation because they didn't have access to a car right. or couldn't have their parents drive them. And they are still seen as less than. And so it's almost seen as like a myth that low-income people or working-class people are not sustainable, that they're either dirty, they're poor, they use resources. But that's not true. And I think that in dis 
dispelling this type type of harmful rhetoric i think we need to zoom out and ask ourselves like you know not everyone's going to think alike because we're all different and i think being an imperfect environmentalist is the most organic thing you can do in a lot of my community i'm like i don't care if you're not vegan i don't care if you're not zero waste like the, those things like yes they do matter to me in different ways but there is this common assumption that every living being in this world especially within humans they have this active mindset to try to reduce and so that is something that is not being shown and i think that there's a lot of binary statements saying you know like if you use plastic how can you call yourself an environmentalist if you take flights how can you call yourself an environmentalist if you eat meat how do you call yourself an environmentalist and there's a lot of these um, harmful binary statements that i feel like they need to be challenged and they need to be perhaps expanded on of how we critically think rather than trying to shut down an individual totally and also it's like a vegan table over here we're both vegan over <laughs> here and it's funny because I, I struggle with that too you know from even the vegan lens I'm told all the time like oh if you wear leather or something like that like are you even vegan and a lot of I mean if you know me I'm a big secondhand baddie I love myself a, like mm -hmm. you know a sustainable option um sustainable option right <laughs> that's a conversation we had too I think about it that way. It's like these polarizing assumptions are so blind to the reason why we do what we do anyways. And like why someone like you, I mean, I'm sure your take on veganism is also based off of like the multi multiple layers of what it really means to make a decision like that. And yeah, like you said, it's not necessarily going to be the answer for other people and their lifestyles. It's also goes back to accessibility. Like that's just not realistic for some people depending on where they are. And like, it's so naive for us to assume that the clean, like, you know, the clean, perfect world we're in is going to be solved through like capitalist, you know, solutions when it's really about behaviors. And I, I, I so agree. It's like this invisible solution that people are doing subconsciously, especially in low income areas where, yeah, it's it's less than and like, isn't that the whole point anyways? Like, are we supposed to buy a new a new whip because we want to like because yeah. we care about the environment? Like that, there's irony in that, you know, like and then it goes back to the invisible damage from things like that, too. Like carbon emissions and all these like how we're sourcing things like mm -hmm. it's just this never-ending cycle of like yeah. wait was that sustainable <laughs> it keeps going i'm so curious to hear what a sustainable world to you like a utopian sustainable world really looks like in your mind like are there certain solutions that you're hoping for that could actually push us and our society naturally towards a sustainable future or are there just things that you're hoping people like adopt into their lifestyles like with everything you know, you're such a beacon of knowledge. Like what, what do you still have like hope for when it comes to a sustainable future? Yeah. You know, I think for me, when I think about sustainable future, I look back and think about, you know, indigenous sovereignty, black liberation. And I also think about the concept localization, which recognizes to use natural resources within your own bioregion. And that is something that is very difficult to talk about because we live in this global food system, right? Mm -hmm. All our produce, all our whatever we get um, comes from this large scale corporation. We've seen how fossil fuel industries have poisoned land. They have poisoned the people and animals. Um, you you know, a sustainable future for me looks into one that is actually actively practicing anti-racist worldviews and to ensure that there's more unity rather than division. But even within trying to achieve world peace, there needs to be this acknowledgement of harm that has been done to people who are the most majority, people of the global majority. And I think that does reckon with a lot of issues because a lot of industries are not willing to hold themselves accountable. Politicians are not willing to hold themselves accountable. What they're more interested in 
is their vested corporate interests or their investments. And so we're, we've gotten to a point where we are defending a non-human logo corporation over people and animals. And that is very scary in the way that we navigate this world. Is that why are people so pressed to, defi- to defend a corporation when that's not even a living being? Right. That's just an extractive logo. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's it's such a... It's also such a testament to like how material our successes and our like gains in the in life have become, you know, like so many people strive for like wealth and possessions and like these these it's also very like westernized like ideas of like what success looks like or what like a happy like future looks like. You know, of course, everyone wants to feel stable and supported and financially capable. Everyone craves that. Everyone deserves that. But beyond that is you know, like, especially in our industry, like my industry, fashion, right? Is like rocking a Chanel bag mean you won? Not to call it Chanel. I just say it as an example, you know, like a fashion, <laughs> a fashion statement. Like, I just find it so sad when I see people are willing to sacrifice so much in their own lives to maintain a status or to create an idea or a facade around what status means to them. So they feel like they've won or they've su- succeeded when mm-hmm. in reality, like, I mean, I, I, now that I've learned so much about, you know, how biodiversity has been diminished just by consumer, like the consumer culture we're in, we're, I mean, in the past 10 years, 15 years, we've doubled our production of garments and we've actually like sliced, I I think the statistic is something like we sliced in half, like the usage of each each garment. What does that even mean? You know, landfills, like I'm going down the rabbit hole, but this is the episode for it, you guys, because I want to really like stress how important it is that we understand how multifaceted this conversation is, you know, and like what you're saying too, like it's not as simple as what we're seeing on the surface here. There's so much underneath that is like cause the issues and are the reason why we're here today, even having such a loaded conversation about sustainability, uh. right? <laughs> I really want to go over some definitions with you from your platform because you really are great. You're a beacon of knowledge and you're always sharing a lot of different terms that I never knew personally. Like I'm on my feet and I'm like, oh, throw that in my little, uh, <laughs> little dictionary I got. So I want to start with greenwashing. That one's really relevant Mm. to finding fashion. What is greenwashing? Yeah, that is such a great word. I would say that greenwashing sustainability are often buzzwords too. But the way I kind of look at greenwashing is the intent for corporations, specifically large-scale corporations, they have the intent to create an eco-friendly line, whether that looks into their packaging, whether that looks into the sourcing of the material, um, but yet continues to have investments within the fossil fuel industry, private prisons, or other extractive industries. Mm. And this is definitely very unique, whether you're looking within the beauty cosmetic industry, the fashion industry, uh, when you look at them, like you know, vegan clothing, being polyester, or you look into just other industries that use, you know, no phthalates or no sulfates and other things like that, but yet the sourcing of their production from a large scale view is still extractive. And so I think greenwashing is just easily slapped at other small businesses when they don't really recognize how much work has been put into that, right? Like you can see a small scale business creating a local garment 
but they package it in plastic. Unfortunately, do they have the infrastructure to create, you know, 100% compostable or plastic-free packaging? No, that actually does cost a lot of money. And I think there needs to be this acknowledgement from a lot of consumers like ourselves and even myself including, is that there also is this business analytical side that comes into the cost of what we're producing and how to get to where we want. And necessarily, I think, logos, whether you look at B Corp, cruelty-free or, um, you know, plastic-free or plastic-neutral or carbon-neutral, like those logos and certifications for what they are worth, they do provide transparency into some sense, but they're also not the key, right? Like not every business, especially small ones, are going to be able to afford it. It costs thousands of dollars to afford it and increases by the size of your corporation, by the size of your employees. And it takes a long time to even get B Corp certified for those who don't know. Wow. That greenwashing is, you know, that just took me on a journey. <laughs> that were yeah, that is such you're so right. That word and sustainability go hand in hand because I think it's really great that you acknowledge small businesses and like the boundaries that don't allow them to necessarily scale certain changes based off of like prices, et cetera. And it goes back into like who we're supporting and why. I love that. Next word. Can we get into environmental racism? Yeah, this is a really great conversation. And I think with environmental racism, to preface like this term, I think back in 2016, 17, when I learned about it more in depth, it was seen as very controversial, it was seen as an uncomfortable term. Um, similar as you look at terms into like medical racism or racism itself, right? Environmental racism specifically looks at the policies and practices that are disproportionately designed in many black, indigenous people of color communities. So when we look into this type of policies or practices, we have to ask ourselves, why are landfills, why are chemical industries, why are different types of extractive and polluting industries often located in nearby low-income communities? communities. There's an argument of like who came first, the industry or the community. More often than not, it's a community have already pushed there due to redlining or due to systemic right. racism of many white affluent neighborhoods saying we don't want black or indigenous or people of the global majority living in our communities. Please push them out somewhere. And so a lot of these industries now that are being built, of course, we know that a lot of rich communities have the infrastructure and resources to sue or try to get those industries that are trying to be built in their areas to be like, no, do not build it here. You're going to destroy our neighborhood and our peace. So go build somewhere else and so where do they go build in low-income communities where they often don't have as much political or economic resources to fight back these industries and so they've kind of normalized pollution themselves of like well this is what it is now we have to live here and i can't really say anything because these corporations have large-scale money to attempt to sue me or try to get rid of my career and right. that has happened to different types of states whether you're looking at industrial agriculture um, looking at the plastic uh, petrochemical industry with plastics or whether you're looking at waste incinerators like these are all like awful things that we see especially here in new jersey and new york oh yeah absolutely in the tri-state like it's it's hard to dodge mm -hmm. and it goes back to like mass tr like transit and stuff like whether you're doing like public transportation especially coming to new york if you're a commuter from jersey to new york you are bound to see how that affects the communities especially bordering the city and in the city too outside of like manhattan specifically we see it so much um, last word I kind of want to touch on is when I brought up earlier climate doomism thoughts. 
Yeah, so I would say that the way I kind of saw climate doomism is, especially from specifically the West, is it describes the anthropogenic actions that are leading to the climate disaster, which we're seeing right now, the rising um, global mean temperatures, the rise of carbon emissions, the greenhouse emissions. And so climate doomism is specifically used as a tool to disempower collective movements. What climate doomism doesn't recognize is that the resistance in movements have always existed to create a regenerative just world and that highly ignores a lot of grassroots activists and organizers that have been actively fighting within their communities and you know when we talk about doomism and doom right we can look back at like mythical and folklore cultures where there was that character called the doomsayer where you would see this old wizard dressed in like a weird outfit saying you know the end of the world's coming and <laughs> this is seen a lot in whether we look at through religion whether that's like misinterpretations in certain texts in certain ways of how we see it. And so doomism is specifically used here in the West to kind of disempower people to not engage anymore in the climate crisis. Meaning like, what does it matter if I don't, you know, if I can't do anything, you know, like the world's going to end, I should stop trying to advocate or I should stop trying to live for my community. But the reality is that we need to fight against this harmful rhetoric that is being pushed out specifically by climate change deniers because they know already that their tactics of them trying to advertise, you know, the fossil fuel industry or the, you know, the fashion industry industry like fast fashion specifically being like you know sustainable what they do instead is like they're saying okay now that they know they've called us out on our errors and our lies let's just try to push them down even more so they can give up and so climate doomism has been popularized especially this last year with the rise of the climate crisis as we saw here in new york where it got flooded completely oh, yeah. in apartments and you saw everywhere videos of people just normalizing that their apartments were being flooded mm-hmm. that was it was so devastating too and like it just becomes this narrative of like new york city uh like yeah. <laughs> like a joke right? like a meme and no i mean it, it's it's directly affecting so many people and like i so agree and i'm so glad you said it this way it's like they want you to not care they want you to normalize these terrible things and by they i mean the people that are benefiting from the profits mm-hmm. of not addressing these issues um and you know what a lot of that is also like a testament to how they've been conditioned to prioritize profit over an environment that they depend on it's really really sad well we're gonna take a quick break you guys but make sure you stay tuned we have a lot we're talking about on the other side right now we're gonna spotlight a creator on galaxy so stay tuned and hope you enjoy hi i'm coco i am selling lots of cool stuff on galaxy whether it be archive or stuff from the local thrift store um it's my only hobby so it's definitely something i have a lot of I got started selling secondhand by literally just having a shopping addiction and needing to clear stuff out of my closet and then replacing it. So selling stuff is definitely my number one task weekly, truly. I mainly sell vintage designer, whether it be vintage Moschino, vintage Gaultier, vintage Chanel. It just depends on what I'm shopping for that month but I'm always looking for new things, but typically always vintage. Um, my vintage shopping addiction kind of started when I discovered how Levi jeans fit me back in the day. I loved finding the perfect pair of Levi's, so I literally had every colorway in every single one of my sizes, and I still have a huge stack. <laughs> my favorite vintage pieces are either vintage hats or definitely just bigger baggy pants that I find in the men's section at Goodwill. 
Recently, I thrifted a 70s Mew Mew bag while thrifting, and it was my best find ever. My advice to anyone who wants to start selling secondhand is definitely hit all of your local thrift stores because each one definitely has a different vibe, whether it be one has more women's clothes, one has more men's. Definitely going to all of them and hitting all the spots, you'll curate the best pieces. My favorite part about selling secondhand is definitely just the clothes being worn. I feel like they're more authentic and comfortable definitely when they're worn in, like a pair of jeans that you've had forever. They're 10 times more comfortable than like the pair of jeans you bought from Zara. So I think just having something that's been around forever is also just super cool. Shop my closet at shopgalaxy.com slash Coco Welcome back to Finding Fashion. It's Pojo and I'm here with Isaias, aka Queer Brown Vegan, our educational, educational? educated a little bit of everything i'd say <laughs> our sustainability baddie so i'm so excited we're gonna get right into the fashion things today isaiah this is something i told you before i'm really really curious about your fashion like your st personal style but also your take on fashion etc how has your style changed over the years did you have an aesthetic did you have a phase i've i personally have been there done that bought the t-shirt <laughs> literally uh um but i want to hear about like your take on fashion and how it's kind of progressed over the years yeah yeah it's so funny so i think for me i grew up my whole life through thrifted clothing like my parents were like you're not going to a mall spending twenty dollars at hot topic like that's expensive and so for me like i grew up with all these like weird vintage clothes where my dad would give them to me and so for me, it's like kind of weird. Like as a queer person, it's like my dad was always like, you need to dress this way as like a man and like this very toxic masculinity. Right. And I think that did like had a lot of things I had to unlearn like throughout my career. But I think like in specifically when I was 17, 16 and 15, I had like the worst style. I just had such low self-esteem, like very long hair, didn't really know how to dress. And, you know, compared to like my sister and brother who are very stylish and like very like good looking, I was always like, I don't know how to like look good. And so I think when I went to college, I made myself a decision of like, you know what? It's time I change my style. It's time I get a haircut. It's time that I believe in myself. And the first thing I did when I went to college is get a job. I went to like Forever 21, which is like a fast fashion shopping because I never went to the mall and bought all these like different clothes. I was like, you know, they're going to look so cool. Then I realized like how childish they looked like when I got 19. And I was looking back <laughs> at myself and I was like, you really wore like, I don't know, like the weirdest clothes. Like you had like pepper socks and like people <laughs> in your dorm would make fun of you saying like, why do you have like such weird socks? And I was just like, I don't know. I just wanted to express myself in a different You were having way. fun yeah. with it. And also like kind of <laughs> the inner child, like just curiosity. Like I get it. I totally get it. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I love a salt and pepper sock. Yeah. <laughs> it's a vibe. Yeah. And so like I, I just had this like very weird style. And then I realized like a lot of the clothing that was given to me in college, specifically for my my dad and my brother were clothes that they had growing up. So this was my dad, like when he was in his twenties and thirties. And so he gave me a lot of his clothing and then I started wearing it and I realized, you know, my height, having long clothing, I really liked that aesthetic. I liked that fact of like, it's just very simple and clean. And I was just like, I don't need too much. And so I started to wear these like long dress shirts um, that my dad had. And I started to create this relationship with myself of like, I don't need fast fashion clothing. And I bought it that first year when I was 18 because I thought I was missing out. I thought that I didn't have the coolest clothes, but in reality, all the clothes that my dad gave me were pretty dope. And like, I still have them today. And I'm like, I thank him for that. And every time I go back home, I sometimes go to his closet. And I'm like, hey, can I like 
have this or like can i borrow this and he's just like i don't care you can take it if you want how do you shop for clothes with intentionality and like keeping like this perspective with like sustainability and stuff like do you make a list when you see like there's a gap for something you need or are you big on just like fixing pieces that you have already like what's your take on like filling the gaps if you will in your closet yeah you know i would say like it's really hard for me especially when trying to fill my closet is digitally I am really bad at like looking at websites specifically models that have my height but we don't I don't have the same body as the model and so most often not I'm like I need to try out the clothing right to ensure it actually fits me nicely um and that's a really huge issue for me because you know like other like sometimes I need or I need someone to at least like wearing the clothes live so I'm able to be like okay that's I know how it looks like I know how tall they look like they keep moving they're not like a professional model where it makes me feel right, like and it's like the angles know. and yeah. the clipping trust me i'll tell you guys there's there's clips there's this there's that like it's different it's different yeah, like the editing and things yeah. so i choose that but i think another thing is i ask myself like the business that i want to shop at so um looking into like what materials i use like what fibers i use like um the logistics of like who they pay like is it like are they're transparent but also like are they able to be traceable um what are what is their stance on diversity especially like hiring models of color and other things like that and so I try to be really realistic of like the price that I'm going to pay for clothing now because I have the economic privilege to afford it is more than $300 plus. But knowing the fact of like I'm very picky on what I'm going to right. be picking because I also don't want to choose clothing specifically as someone who's vegan that is like anything that uses animal derivatives or slash the fact of like it has polyester in it and that's been a huge issue especially with the vegan community of like the vegan leather issue and and like the polyester issue and it's like i've had to really ask myself like you know cotton or hemp exists right but also is hemp and cotton as sustainable depending on the bioregion where I'm buying from or where they produce that cotton from? Ah, see, that's where it gets really deep yeah. and you kind of go down the rabbit hole. <laughs> Let's go into the vegan stuff, though. I think that's so interesting. This is a conversation that we had a bit earlier, but like this idea that just because something's vegan means it's good for the environment or that's the right choice. Or if you're vegan, your only option is this vegan branded thing that actually might have repercussions behind it. Like what are your, the whole vegan leather industry, let's start there. Like what's your take? What are your angles? Like what do we have to worry about? I guess really too. Yeah, I know. Definitely. I think at whole, like the leather industry, not the vegan leather industry is horrific, right? Like it's like animals, the the deforestation, um, the tanning of the, you know, the chemicals used is also toxic. So, Mm -hmm. People are saying it's biodegradable. Like it's most likely not because right. leather we see today is not biodegradable. But the vegan leather issue, and I think this is something that I learned recently from organizations like the OR is present and like the Slow Factory, which I give a lot of credit to them for their work, um, is kind of recognizing the fact that the current vegan leather or vegan clothing that exists, specifically, there is a lining of plastic in it called polyurethane. And necessarily, it's not to say like, well, it's not biodegradable, right? It's recyclable in some ways if they, they have the protocols and systems in right. place. But the fact is that the amount of resources it uses in discarding of vegan leather, specific, specifically, we know that when we discarded clothing or give away our clothing to charity or clothing um, to thrift stores, 
though that clothing if even if it's not sold off there and it's not desirable it's sent to a different country and this is where i found out from like the organizations i mentioned is that it's sent to the global south and what happens is that it destroys the environment it destroys the local economies of local fashion designers and now they're not able to compete to sell their clothing because the clothing that's coming from the west it's like it's at a cheaper price and then from the clothes from like the the, the own textile makers trying to get a living wage um, they're out competed and, and this is something that was so horrific that was reported from these organizations and so I asked myself like when talking about vegan leather we need to ask ourselves like there is not right now in market there are conversations um, 100% plastic free vegan and biodegradable leather that exists there are developments such as like Milo and leather that I worked with them a year ago and I know the slow factory is producing their own um, plastic free vegan leather but there it's not scalable even Allbirds themselves I've worked with them and right now that's not out to market and that's not scalable I think Stella McCartney did do a partnership of a year ago with yeah, the vegan with, uh, mushroom leather yeah, yeah I remember that that was huge big industry jump like yeah. that was a big big thing and this kind of ask ourselves like how do biotextiles can create this change that are made from plants but again like that it takes a lot of extensive research funding and right now i'm at this point for myself of like i don't really need clothing because i have so much clothing in my closet anyway so i can divest away from that but i do think that when people specifically vegans are saying buy vegan leather that's the only ethical way it kind of really distorts the fact of like okay what you have in your closet or what you might buy secondhand isn't going to be as sustainable when in reality i've had secondhand garments now in thrift stores, and you can probably agree to this, is that a lot of thrift stores now carry fast fashion clothes. Oh my gosh, it's so, so bad. much. It's crazy. And it's sad because you realize like these are pieces that were like, not only, they're like barely months yeah. old, you're seeing with the trends yeah. too. I was at a spot recently and I remember I found, I was really excited because I found this like, hawaiian dress like authentic like uh everything made in hawaii like cool small business i was like where did i even find this like this is crazy and then i go to the next thing and it was like literally she and she and she and she and i'm like how crazy is that that you know these pieces that were made to appeal to the masses and to just be like digested are not digested in the way that you're you're thinking like it's and it's in great condition it's literally you tell a lot of them well some of them pill really fast because the quality of the clothes is it's not very good because yeah. the price point and the labor we could get into all that but it's it's just really devastating when you realize that the system is so broken it's so broken and then it's just going to keep being recycled into what until it ends up in a landfill and i can only imagine the next person that grabs any of those pieces if they even do because the appeal to get, get them isn't it's not very appealing in a space where it should be you know it should be given another life it's just this weird it just and it, it goes back to that rage thing and this doomism and all that stuff mm. you're like we created this problem we yeah. created this problem there was a demand for these items and the demand as soon as the demand was met do you have any advice like for other people shopping or making decisions about their closet like where should people start and i know like we could also talk about how thrift and consignment isn't always the best answer depending yeah. on where you are um yeah what are your what's your take on like the best approach yeah, I think for people just trying to save money in general is easily is your siblings or your best friends. Like, I don't know if it's maybe some people find it uncomfortable or weird, but I traded clothings with my brother. Closet. It's or a my closet sister. trade, right? Like, I have clothing that I wear that was given from my sister that is femme clothing, and I, I wear it because it's like clothing should be genderless, right? Yeah. Um, but I think for, you know, for my best friends, like, I we don't really find it weird. My friend was like, I really love your jacket. And I was like, you know what? I honestly haven't worn this jacket in almost a year. If you want it, take it. 
And I think we need to normalize yes. that. Like, obviously, like, you know, like, it's like shirts or pants or shoes. Like, yeah, like, people are more likely to do that. Um, and asking yourself, too, like, if you're trying to become more conscious in your purchasing decisions, if you find yourself, like, you know, you know, if you're a stylist, you're a fashionista, like, I understand fashion is a whole different art. And I know that it's interpreted by so many different ways by so many people. And I appreciate that, right? I'm not trying to shame them for buying clothes. But maybe asking yourself, like, what are the ways that you're able to really redesign your relationship with clothing? And there's a lot of questions to ask yourself, like, are you going to wear this multiple times? Or are you going to um, use this in your other events? Can you? Can, is this clothing versatile? Can I wear it at a casual hangout, a professional hangout? Like this is what you we really get onto it because this is what you want to do, and you save money. So, um, and also the last thing is kind of understanding the intersections of these issues, right? The fashion, right, is related to environment, land, and, and animals, right? And understanding like what are the horrific in- industries that exist for animals specifically, like within wool like that is something that's so horrible i learned about in australia um from total um from collective fashion justice movement and then also like asking yourself like who is paid and like the factory collapse that happened years ago in rana plaza like understanding these events in history allows us to kind of create this more not self-shame lens but more collective lens of understanding of what we're talking about all right you guys it is time to dig into isaiah's fashion finds this is a segment that we're going to be exploring throughout the season where i ask my guests to bring a few pieces on that they can't live without and we're going to hear about the story behind each piece so let's get into it so isaiah i like first of all i just want to grab i want to just start throwing my hands in this bag and grab things but i'm going to ask you to pull a piece that you can't stop wearing to start okay a piece that i can't stop wearing yeah that is such a great question so there is a piece that I can't stop wearing. It is my lucky black velvet. Well, it used Ooh. to be a velvet, but it's like discarded over the years. But <laughs> I've had it for almost since I think I was 16. Oh, my God. This piece of clothing that was given to my dad. And it's like a black, simple black yeah. dresser. And I've worn it like in college, like to parties, to professional events. To like casual things like gardening with friends or like foraging in, you know, semi-cold or semi-warm days. And it's really has lasted me for so long. And there's absolutely no tears whatsoever. So I've had this. I'm 25 now. So I've had this. Yeah. Okay. I've had this since I was like, yeah, 16. Oh my gosh. By my dad, I think. So you've really kept it in great condition, too. I'm actually in surprise because like apparently ironing it in different temperatures or like not drying it properly or using the same um chemicals like can damage it but it's actually has remained its same form wow so. that's amazing and a classic black like you can't go wrong with like yeah. something like that that goes with everything <laughs> as time goes on i'm really impressed though that you can like it's it's really durable too i need to get my like game up with that i'm gonna go through my dad's closet for that yeah no, now definitely. you're inspiring with this neil my dad <laughs> yeah exactly awesome okay so next piece i want to see is something that has a story behind it i'd argue that had a story too but yeah no. we could all say every piece has a story yes definitely yeah. so I'm, i think the next piece is really funny it's actually an accessory it's like a lunch bag slash like foraging when i do other things but it's like this upcycled like stop um, (laughs) everybody stop go go squeeze has entered the building in a rare form oh my god so 
a funny story about this is that I was given this back in 2000, I believe 20 when I, after I finished my job and moved to TerraCycle, which is like a recycling company. And my manager who I deeply love her until um, this day, um, gave me this bag. Oh and this God. is actually one of the original designs from TerraCycle. And for those who don't know, like before they had these like recycling boxes, the company itself had a lot of upcycling initiatives. So they had their really wonky product where they like upcycle things. And I would wear it on the subway in New York and people would always like laugh or like compliment me for it. But you can tell like it's lasted for such oh a long time God. and I use it. And I don't know, I feel like this is another creative way which like bags can be used to start, to start a conversation with upcycling. A hundred percent. You guys, this is just bringing back <laughs> so many memories for one. And two, like what an incredible like initiative to use these to make such a sick bag. Yeah, it's also just such a testament to like the like food culture too. <laughs> it, it's funny to also see like wow. Otherwise, every time I've ever had a go go squeeze, mildly depressing. But let me <laughs> let me explain. Every time I've had a go go squeeze, I've been in a pinch, and I have not been thinking about the waste that comes from a go go squeeze. Mm, and now you get yeah. to literally keep this alive. Um, when you say foraging, you mean mushroom foraging? Yeah, mushrooms. Oh, foraging, that's yeah. sick. <laughs> What's your favorite mushroom you forage? I'm curious. Oh my god, it's like a beautiful orange mushrooms called lot of um sulfurous it's called chicken of the woods mushroom oh my god yeah. so it's I like love the big chicken orange of the woods. yeah so it's all in new jersey and, oh, and yes Coast, so. um fun fact when i was younger i used to work at a vegan bakery oh and i'd wake up at five in the morning and go open this bakery um shout out michelle she was fantastic <laughs> and she would always make uh she had an amazing forager in new jersey and she would make these fried uh hen of the woods or chicken oh of the woods God. like sandwiches and so delicious. to this day, I I can't get over them. We'll but I love foraging. the idea that they've passed through this bag. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a survive time. So cool. We have to go foraging together. <laughs> no, Can I we come? will this spring or summer. I literally, let's, let's let me know. I'm day, so yeah. in. <laughs> Holy shit, that's amazing. Okay, amazing, amazing. <laughs> I guess the f last hurrah would be one piece that has stood the test of time. Oh, this is such a great question. So I have actually this one, which we've had briefly talked about, but it's the brown corduroy yes. dress jacket oh yes um and this is i think the the unique story behind this is like i think my dad when he got his first job in the states he like went to old navy and he spent like God. i don't know how much money for this but old navy used to be expensive back yeah. then and i mean now it's like a different story but it's really great piece because he used it for i think his job interviews and there was a time in college when I think I was 19 and 20 and was getting more into like professional careers and like trying to see like what are my options. And he gave it to me and mm -hmm. I started wearing it a lot in interviews or like professional events or like parties and people would always compliment me on it. Oh They're saying like, God. really love your jacket. We really love the design of it. And it's like, they would ask me where it's from. And I said, I think from like Old Navy. And people were like, well, they don't sell clothes like that anymore. Yeah. That looked like that. So. Um, it's lasted a long time and I think I've had it since I was 18 now I'm 25 so it's, fantastic uh, you know what I when I see this jacket I do think of you yeah <laughs> I do because I feel like I've definitely seen like either amazing posts with it or just like in passing seeing you in this yeah jacket. it's just cool to have staple pieces like that that just like really reflect like something that you've carried with you and um no this is fantastic I ugh. and I also like there's you can't go wrong with like corduroy velvet etc like these textures I like are the, the best, best. color <laughs> I, I like prefer that <laughs> no I, I do too um I'm trying to start collecting like more corduroy because I realize like it's a really easy way to elevate outfits and it's also really easy to source like secondhand and like mm -hmm. vintage like there's so many amazing cool designs that are out there and that one being a great example you know and it also just shows like 
something don't break don't fix what ain't broken gav come on like this yeah. was this was <laughs> killing it you know yeah. wouldn't it be cool if they did like a recycling initiative where they like brought all their vintage back or something yes, or ask people to bring it back so they yeah. can get repaired because there's a lot of people that would demand for this and i remember yeah. i think in new york someone asked me how much i would sell this for really and i was like oh well, i'm wearing it right now i wouldn't sell yeah, it like i wouldn't you. sell but, it sorry yeah, you love I a guess, hype moment but though. there are people who are invested a lot in fashion that i was like wow i didn't know people are so like would be so down to like buy it instantly right. but, on your body yeah. too yeah i was like <laughs> no yeah that ha- I, i've had a couple of situations like that where people were like just like and then you're like kind of also like overwhelmed because yeah. you're like uh, and then you you don't want to sell it there's more of a reason not to sell it because you're like oh you want it well i want to keep it mm. it's just like weird <laughs> back and forth those are amazing pieces thank you for sharing yeah, all no, of those with you. me i so appreciate it this is like it's just cool to see the pieces too that like just define who you are and also define the way you probably approach styling in a day. Like I'm sure you're like grabbing for that jacket and it influences the shirt you wear underneath yeah. <laughs> and stuff like that. So that's super cool. Yeah. It's just great to have stories attached to clothes. Yeah, I think and it, it keeps you so grounded much. in who you are as an individual. And I think that's what a lot of people miss about fashion and clothing. It's like, yeah. Oh, it's just clothing. People just trying to be pretty or whatever. But like you said, it's more about a spiritual and religious and like family cultural sense to you. Exactly. And no, and that's the biggest thing, like carrying legacy, carrying stories, creating relationships with these clothes that are meaningful. I think if anyone can learn anything, hopefully from this episode and also from the work you do, it's that moving forward, looking at fashion as an exchange of energy and something that like is actually building who you are as a person Mm -hmm. rather than like, I need a photo for the gram. I guess I need a new shirt. Like you actually don't need a new shirt for the photo for the gram, believe it or not. No one's losing sleep. And it's actually way better to influence people to rewear pieces and not be so freaked out by this like perception of like, Oh, I got to be like fresh and new all the time. Like it's such a toxic thing online. And I I think too, like I think for myself, I've, really worn a lot of these pieces in photos and like in different settings too and like it works for me because i look good in them for myself but also the fact like you said there is this mind behind my mind saying i wonder if people notice i've been rewearing the same thing but that shouldn't matter right and And they should notice and they should be influenced by it It goes back to the influencer (laughs) status you carry it's like i know you're influencing people to do the right thing and like do things that are really meaningful and actually helping the environment subconsciously as well so i you should be so proud isaiah like i'm so honored to have you on for this first episode seriously and like just thank you for sharing everything like you're such a beacon of knowledge and light and energy and just oh like it just makes me excited and i'm excited that you could be a part of like the finding fashion community and show people like what it means to be mindful but also like not judgmental Mm -hmm. and like conscious of like also the masses and what it really means to like pivot into this space which is very as you know like up and coming it's time for people to really care the way you do so thank you so much again for having me this community for being here of course i think i have one last question as our little outro if that's cool with you yeah but let's say someone came on listened to this episode they're super inspired they're like okay i never really thought about sustainability in my life before but like i want to start today do you have any advice or like first steps that maybe could be a step in the right direction for someone I would say following him for one is definitely a right, a good step. Um, but do you have any like recommendations for people that are starting fresh right now and want to do something good for the planet today? Yeah. I mean, I would say like tap into your lived stories and your memories because that's where the most sustainable journeys begin. Mm. 
even if you don't see it as sustainable or you saw it like, well, that was based off survival. That was because we were in poverty or that was because like I had to grow up this way or my parents were so against using these chemicals because they wanted a toxic free home. Like, you know, asking yourself, like, what are those relationships you have with those industries? And if you're a college student or you're a working professional in a different industry, like you don't need to be in the environmental sustainability industry to create change. Asking yourself, like, what are the current existing things that I can change? about that whether you're working in fashion whether you're looking to photography like how do you make a set zero waste how do you um become a zero waste chef if you're someone who cooks a lot like there's just so many things that you can enter throughout the sustainability journey and i think that's the beauty of it and so rather than saying to yourself like i need to be exactly like this person asking yourself like how can i create myself using and pulling references and using some values from my own experiences from what others around I'm around and also looking within my local community of what can things can be done. Even the most simplest things of like going to your local thrift store, going to your local like coffee shop and asking for different alternatives and things like that. So um, I think that's what really kind of gets people inspired. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. You are fantastic. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm just like beaming with joy right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on finding fashion this has been such a treat seriously yes, thank you so much oh my gosh well please share with everybody your handles so they know where to find you online slash site whatever you want to share where can we find you on the internet yeah you can definitely find me at queer brown vegan or queerbrownvegan.com there's tons of resources i post online and also have sometimes digital monthly meetings with my community where we just discuss our stressors or what goals we want for the month and just really low chats where we don't need to like talk about like what we want to do but rather like where our hearts are at in this movement oh that's fantastic i'm definitely going to tune in for the next yeah. one so excited i also want to thank galaxy so much for powering this podcast we couldn't do it without you guys please make sure that if you want to explore that your future fashion finds you go check out galaxy's website galaxy.live go find some cool small creators to support go shop a live stream and I'm at Pojo on Instagram. Easy to find. If you want to get goofy, I'm at Pojo Jojo on TikTok. <laughs> so have fun with that. Do as you wish. But thank you guys so much for joining us on the first episode of Finding Fashion. It's your girl Pojo signing out. Isaiah, you're the best. Thank you so much for just oh, creating <laughs> this universe you. with me. It's so exciting. And we'll see you guys very, very soon. Bye. <laughs>